0: Welcome to Heart Shoots by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation, and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries as well as aha moments to help early stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe. Hi.
1: I'm Elise Tan, and I'm your host for this episode of Heart Truth by Vertex Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have Carmen Yuan, General Partner at Vertex Ventures Southeast Asia and India. Hi Carmen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks Elise for having me join yeah, so I think Carmen Yuan is no stranger to many of us in the Southeast Asia startup ecosystem. In Vertex, she has spent nearly 10 years investing and also um, helping the companies to become regional and global champions. Um, prior to Vertex, Carmen has served many years in government-backed initiatives such as EDB Investments as well as Seeds Capital, where she helped to invest and support many companies. So Carmen, what's up these days? Well, you know, we
2: just closed our fundraise, right, for Fund Five. And so we just made that announcement of 541 million US dollars. So I guess now is the beginning of yet another chapter after we are done fundraising. It's about looking for opportunities to invest in companies, to grow them, and the cycle starts again.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think this is interesting times for us. Um, I also want to know something. How did you know about Vertex in the first place?
2: Oh, my goodness, this is going back history, right? So so it has to go way back. Uh, And in 2000, I joined EDB Investments. And so when I was in EDB Investments, there was a day when I was on a call with uh, this particular lady called Sinhui. So Sinhui is with Vertex and she was with Vertex at that time. So we had a conversation on perhaps things like the fair value of the fund that EDB was backing Vertex in uh, and probably on some fund administration matters. I can't even remember. Um, but we went about our separate ways. So, so it was more like, okay, I was aware of Vertex investments at that time, um, but nothing very much. Then in 2007, I was with Seeds Capital, which is now being managed under uh, Enterprise Singapore. And because we have got Seeds, which is a co-investment fund, so therefore there's enough things to keep the team busy. So for us, we wanted to find out um, the relevance of some of the programs. So we started talking to ecosystem players. And one of that people that we spoke to was actually Kilok, right? So again, after the interview, we went about our lives nothing much happened. In 2012, I took a sabbatical for family reasons. And about late 2013, I decided to emerge back into the marketplace. And lo and behold, I received an email from our managing partner, Mm Zhuhok. And Zhuhok was asking whether I was free for coffee. And of course, I was free for coffee. I was not working, right? So of course, I was free. And uh, during our coffee chat, he asked if I would be keen to join Vertex because we were going to launch a Singapore-focused fund. Mm. So those are all my encounters with uh, Vertex since way back in 2000. Who's to know that 14 years
1: later, I'll be part of the team, and lo and behold, I'm still here 10 years counting. (laughs) Wow. And I also want to say that, you know, sometimes things are so coincidental because you mentioned about meeting Keylog in uh, 2007, I think that might have been a time where he first joined Vertex as well. Mm. So I think the time, the timing is really you know uh, perfect. Um, so you met most of the the stakeholders in in the firm, yeah. Um, so in Singapore, definitely you have seen uh, a lot of the ecosystem growth. You know, would you be able to kind of walk us through what you have seen? You know, how the ecosystem has kind of flourished?
2: In 2000, there was a fund called Technopreneur Investment Fund, which was managed by EDB. And that's a fund of fund program. So our chairman, Mr. Teo Kian, was also overseeing that program. Um, so that fund's aim was really to seed and become an LP or an investor into many of the global general partners. And the intent is for them to set up a team of operation folks here in Singapore, not only to train up the ecosystem VC folks, but also to invest into the companies in this region. And of course, tax incentive was loaded in. Um, But towards the tail end of the program, uh, they were unable to raise another lot of money from Singapore. And so therefore, many of these folks relocated to wherever money source is. So what, what is my takeaway? My takeaway is that it's therefore very important to grow local GPs. Right, So that they are staying here, good times, bad times uh, As opposed to those who are coming through when things look really good But when the fire is burning here, they, they relocate somewhere else So that's learning point number one Now Singapore is very small and our government can be very uh, focused um, on what they need to achieve And when they are very focused, they can actually marshal a lot of stat to do things together Just to drive that outcome so, so over that span of time I've seen how uh, MTI together with all the step bots underneath the GTC, the EDB and so on um, come together and, and created what is now known as our silicon high rise right which is in <laughs> Bonavista, right one north so, so that is where you see not just only the startups, uh, dedicated cheaper rent for startups but you also see some vcs you see service providers some of the lawyers are also moving around there uh, it's strategic because it's also very near to the university so hopefully when 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 founders decide to spin out from the universities they will locate there so it's all about having enough like-minded people hanging around together exchange ideas and who knows the next startup will be there right
1: yeah, for me, um, obviously, I don't have as much experience as you. I joined the ecosystem of uh, more than ten years back. So at the time, uh, what I remember most is really the Block Seventy One setup. I just want to ask you, you know, do you think there is a type to the kind of uh, successful companies for Singapore? Mm. So I will
2: say, Im- we imagine that there should be, but actually, startups um, can come from anywhere. Right. In Singapore, we have got some of the favorite companies that we always quote, right? So if you look at uh, Neom, it's in the fintech space, it's in the payment space. People will say that, oh, this is super thin margin, but yet it is a trillion, uh, it is a billion dollar company. Then you've got PassNAP, who will imagine that Southeast Asia will have software as a service opportunity and furthermore in the intellectual property space, right? And yet they are also a unicorn. Their clients are 12,000 global names. And most more, more recently, we invested into a company called PropSeller, founded by a guy who's not from our region, from Europe, right? But the whole idea is how can you optimize the entire journey of um, uh, buying and selling your homes and they have perfected that solution so much so that I, I would like to think that going forward there'll be a lot more media interviews with them to tap his thoughts and his insights into what can be a better experience for folks like you and me when we want to buy and sell houses. Now this is just from our portfolio companies but if you look at companies that does resonate with many of us, Razor, consumer electronics goods. Uh, it has a cult following. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to watch how it could actually achieve the kind of uh, euphoria, just like Apple, whenever they launch the next Apple mm-hmm. iPhone, i whatever. Uh, the kind of cloud following is amazing. Then now we are talking about a lot of direct to consumers. But in in more than 10, 15 years ago, there was actually another company called Skin Inc. Mm-hmm. Started by Sabrina, right? And she was a HP girl. Uh, but she she also started Skin Inc. with the intention of like having direct-to-consumer personalized skincare. Now, she is also gunning for an IPO on the NASDAQ or somewhere in the US. So, so for me, there are in, enough interesting
1: spread of companies that... Singapore is capable of uh, developing. Yeah, you're right. Um, so Carmen, um, you know, thanks for sharing uh, what kind of companies might succeed in Singapore. What do you think for Vertex would be our investment strategy in Singapore?
0: Mm.
2: So so for Vertex, in Fund 5, we have told our investors that there will be six areas we look at. Consumer economy, software enterprise, um, you have got fintech. Digital healthcare, agri tech, and sustainability, as well as uh, mobility, right? Uh, and we we already told our investors that we will invest in Series A. So then, what it means is for us to look at all these opportunities and cover what could make sense. Now, things that requires physical infrastructure, example farms, physical land for farms, unlikely we will be involved, right? Things that requires Vertex to consider opportunities, example in building charging stations unlikely we will be involved. But things that are more digital enablement, uh, if it is about looking at uh, how um, battery charging has been distributed,
1: where are the available slots, uh, things like that, perhaps you can be involved. Um, do you have any hard truths you know, to share when it comes to raising uh, funds or even you know building a successful business for the region?
2: Success lies in the eyes of the beholder, right? <laughs> so if a person is successful without raising VC money, Well and good. Uh, And there are many, many, Founders who are able to grow their businesses without external financing help, uh, other than maybe raising some debt. Uh, So, debt is successful in and of itself. Um, But for tech companies, generally, they will need to raise money to prove out certain points. So, the the hard truth to me will be that they need to understand uh, the need to rely on local talent. So, just like when we pitch to our investors, we'll tell our investors that, look, we have got local teams on the ground, we have got people who are based in Indonesia. Uh, uh, Thais who are based in Thailand we've got Indian nationals who are based in India and so on Same when uh, our tech companies are looking to expand overseas, they ought to consider hiring local talent to helm the local practices. And what better than to work with uh, ASEAN scholars? So when you've got ASEAN scholars who have graduated, who have gone back to their home countries, um, these are the people who already know what Singaporeans are like. These are the people who can become our bridge for setting up presence in wherever overseas countries that we want to expand into, um, they should be trustworthy enough for us to actually seek their counsel, seek their input when it comes to maybe the local laws for hiring or where should we um, plant our next office, uh, how do we approach the next client that we want to approach, is there a mechanism to doing our pricing strategy, things like that.
1: Common, um, you have obviously seen you know quite a few cycles um, in the ecosystem so right now you know how would you describe the part of cycle that we are in?
2: Um, well, we are just in a very long uh, sort of like ground zero ground level one type of uh, trajectory um, which is good so, so when we look at 2021 and 2022 the fear was that enough investors were giving a lot of checks away to startups um, um, on on valuation multiples that I don't even understand. I've seen this happen in 2000, right? Uh, But again, it happened in 2021 of sorts. I suppose it's because we were just coming out of COVID and everybody was getting very excited about the opportunities and investors had pent up uh, funds waiting to be deployed. Um, But the music kind of like stopped in 2022. Uh, So now companies have raised a lot of capital and who are smart enough to pull the handbrakes, they are lucky, they are good, so they should really make their money stretch. Now for those companies that have not raised enough money, then it's on them to quickly move into the EBITDA positive zone and hopefully to be um, cash flow neutral. And uh, that will give them another day for uh, uh, sustaining themselves. We we had our internal discussion yesterday and we talked about one of our portfolio companies that finally obtained a term sheet. And I remember asking the team, um, how long did it take for the company when they started asking or fundraising to do that day when they had received the term sheet. Now, term sheet doesn't mean documentation is done, money is in. There's still a couple more months. So, from the time they started positioning the company for fundraising until when they had the term sheet, it took them a good eight months. Uh, we previously would have completed the deal in eight months. So, so basically, what it means now is that it's a prolonged period to fundraise. Uh, so, the team needs to look at where they can streamline. Um, either the auditors have to get more revenue. I mean, there's only that number of levers that you can push or pull um, and sit out. In the event that they cannot raise money, then the hard truth will be that maybe they should consider either liquidating the company. uh, uh, Investors will hate that, but sometimes that's the best thing to do. Or they have to quickly find a combination opportunity which is to do a merger um so that there is a sort of whatever that has been developed
1: over the years is not written down to ground zero yeah, yeah i think um that's the hard truth these days um but i also wonder you know do you think that looking back do you think that this kind of timing is the best time to start companies it's
2: a nervous time right it's a nervous time but unless you've got very strong so there can be great companies that can be founded but you need to overlay with a possible new trend that people are looking for where you must show good um, traction Um, and investors are not extremely creative so investors sometimes want to look at data so unless that trend maps alongside with your data uh, your traction your repeatability, the value of your, the quality of your repeat usage, whatever those metrics you may be measuring, um, then if not, it's still going
1: to be very hard to raise money. That's true. And circling back to what you mentioned, you know, if they are not um, like revenue positive, then uh, it's time now to really cut costs in Mm. some way. But uh, what we know is that when costs are cut, oftentimes revenue will fall right and then uh, it could be really a down, down, downward spiral yes. then how can a company navigate that and and eventually still be you know attractive to investors mm. so so the
2: question is should they even go for investors right that's the that's the that's a bigger question that the founder and the board members uh, have to deliberate on um, but sometimes the best thing to do is to pull back and focus on your core, what is your core business, right? Um, and this is not just limited to only startups. So even large companies, after they acquire a couple of companies, after they've grown into two big companies, to fail, we imagine them to be. Um, they may have a lot of fats around the the company that needs to be trimmed. If not, those could be the areas where it can distract the company. So, case in point, right? So, so Grab had recently announced that they are shutting the whole wealth tech part of their business. Uh, and and to Grab, this could be a very good reason, a very legitimate reason, because it could be distracting and it could be yielding very very little revenue and m- massive customer acquisition costs to get people
1: to try, but you don't see any value in the revenue. You can remember like examples where people can actually learn from the experience.
0: Mm.
2: So
1: um,
2: one of the things was, uh, so PestNap is founded by... Um, graduates mm. right so these are the graduates who didn't really work in corporate settings before uh, and they were fresh out of the university they had they had a pain pain point that they wanted to address which is totally legitimate but as they grow their company you know researchers techies are all very young so at that time the mindset of the founder was great my company is very young, and I'm very proud that the median age is I don't know, 27 or something. So, so finally, when we told him, oh, you know, I think you may need some people who are more senior in the company to guide the company th- through. Through, um, it wasn't totally well received, right? Because he's like, no, the company is very young. Um, and and when he hired uh, a senior person who's probably about 50, it took him a while to consider having an older person because he does come with certain lenses that older people are harder to change, right? So so they may be so fixated on their ways, they don't understand technology. So, So it took him quite a while to overcome this hurdle. But I must say that now when we move fast forward a couple of years, he has matured and I think he sees the value in having people who are Who are more experienced, who are older than him, to lead the company through. Having said that, on the flip side, his other experience was so when this was checked off, right, that okay, I can hire older people, people who are more experienced. The next thing was okay, why don't I hire people who are from the large tech companies? Oh, that was also a nightmare Because some of these people are so used to life in a large corporation Uh, They are not used to rolling up their sleeves and doing the stuff, right? So so that's why we also had quite a few wrong hires uh, People who came with very good credentials But but who, who were just quite a misfit for the company
1: Yeah, so I think it's really not easy to be an entrepreneur So hats off to all of them so I also want to ask you a bit about the exit opportunities mm. for Singapore companies. So obviously, we have seen Grab, grown and exited. But uh, what what do you think are more uh, realistic mm. as the opportunities? Mm. So in
2: 2021, Cento, another one of the VC funds based in Singapore, um, they did a research, right, just to map out what are the kind of exits that Southeast Asia companies have uh have recorded. So of course you have got IPO being one, M and A being the other, and secondary sales being the third. So actually, IPO is one of the smaller chunks. The bulk of the exit is actually from secondary sales. And um this is this is what we experience as well, right? I mean, so we talk about Grab, that it has IPO'd, but truth be told, Vertex actually exited before the company went public. So we did not have to be locked up. We did not have to see uh, any fluctuation in the share price. Um, After the lockup, usually there will be certain certain directions that share prices can go. Um, But the product or the company has to be so good to start with before you can even have Secondary opportunities So it's really down to How we are able to invest Into great companies Where the, the company shares Are constantly being in demand And when they are in demand Then there will be opportunities For people to call us Knock on our doors Talk to the founders To say hey Can I buy some of your shares Then and only then will We have the opportunity To have that conversation Going on secondary So for us I will say that We have seen cases Where um, our exits are done By uh, secondaries but on other terms, we have also seen
1: MA. Yeah, yeah that's really true. And uh, just speaking about secondaries, MA opportunities, I'm sure that's something that Vertex as an investor play a strong role in and have a lot of access to people who could um, possibly do that. Um, so I just want to ask you as well, you know, how, do, how are we as an investor? Mm. What do we do for our portfolio companies? What is the kind of relationship that we have?
2: Yeah, I will say that we have a very tight, knit relationship with our founders. Uh, of course, over the years, um, we will have new founders coming on stream. So the founders who have been with us for a longer time, they will have lesser time with us, but it's still quality. So, for example, whenever Jeffrey comes back to Singapore, he will oftentimes make a trip to come to Vertex and have a coffee with maybe Killog and Um so, so the quality of that friendship continues, even though our journey has gone further and we have to spend more time taking care of the babies in our portfolio. Um, but when it comes to working with founders... It doesn't matter whether it's holiday. Uh, so, so yeah, we don't really respect public holidays. We work anyway. So our founders also work anyway, right? Um, so we, we are just merely a tax away. We do go on phone calls. We do uh, challenge our founders on certain principles that they may have or certain philosophies they may have uh, just so that they are more sharp on why they choose to take a certain route. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how I would say our relationship
1: is, yeah. Perhaps a testimony to that is uh, when we have an interview with uh, Roshni, founder of Parenting Inc. So she mentioned that, you know, when Carmen speaks to her, the first thing she says isn't like, oh, how is the business doing? But what you ask her is, how is she doing as a person? Mm -hmm. So I think that really set us apart. Yeah, so Carmen, you know, you mentioned that when you first join, um, the team is really small and obviously you are the first female in the team. Uh, So I'm really glad that it has changed over the years. You know, now I think our ratio is nearly forty percent who are female, uh, who are investing. So um, I also want to then ask you, you know, um, what what do you think are some of the advice or tips that you would give either for female investors or female mm-hmm. founders, expiring um, or existing? Mm. So
2: just to make a small correction, I wasn't the first female employee. Um, I was the first female partner. So so as a result, I would say that Vertex has always been hiring women. So it wasn't because it's a nice and fancy food then they started hiring. So they always have a women on the team. Um, Now as to what can female founders and female investors expect going forward, the playing field is still uneven. So even for female GPs who are trying to raise funds, they take way longer time, maybe double the time just to raise a female-focused fund. And that is currently the fact. But I believe things are changing given that now more corporations, more investors are aware of this whole inclusion topic. So so some of them are more ready to uh, write checks to support female-backed funds. Um, at the same time for female entrepreneurs, it's a matter of time that we should see more of them. As to how women entrepreneurs can be backed, um, this unfortunately statistics also show that only 2% of the female founders are able to raise funds. So I believe it's also a matter of time. Now, fundraising is just one aspect of growing a successful business. The other aspect is having that Group that is really close-knit That accountability group uh, Where you can actually Cry, your, cry on somebody else's shoulders um, And get that support I think that is very important So for women founders Just because you are women Doesn't mean that your journey Will be harder Right? To me all founders are hard. It's just that we choose to look at it through the lens of being a woman. Um, I believe that as women founders, uh, we have our strength. We probably look at things slightly differently to that of a man. And it's, it's great because now you have got more women GPs, you've got more women partners. So therefore, the ability to engage women partners, women investors is there. So it will be a matter of time if your proposition is strong enough, you should be able to raise funds.
1: Yeah, and I'm excited to share that you know, as part of our fifth fund, we do have a co-investment envelope of 50 million to support female-founded or co-founded companies. So how this works is that um, the main fund will uh, invest a certain amount, and then the uh, female fund will co- co-invest alongside. Yeah. Um, so I also want to say that um, when I first got to know you better i realized you have four children so how do you juggle that you know family life with the hectic work of venture capital so i will say that thankfully when i joined vertex my kids were older
2: so so they were less dependent where i didn't need to change diapers so they're beyond that uh, the the value that i feel i bring as a result whenever i meet with them at home over dinner so i used to try to make it a point to be home for dinner um, then that's when we sit around the dinner table, no phones, uh, and we'll just talk through how how's your day, what do you do at school, um, and we get to know their friends, their children. Um, so it also helps that I do have a very steady um, helper, domestic helper at home, who has been with us for the last 20 over years. So so because she's been with us for so long, therefore it's easier for me to just entrust everything in the house to her. If things are not so clean, there's always alternatives like wearing slippers or if you cannot stand it, take it down, wash it yourself, right? Whatever. So I think there are ways to, to go around it. But I also have a husband who knows my hours. So he's like, no pressure, just that he doesn't pick me up from work, which helps so mm-hmm. that I don't feel the pressure <laughs> of like, I need to shut down, I need to shut down. Yeah. So I think it all it's all down to family. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I really subscribe to what you mentioned about um, looking at where you truly add value. You know, I I feel like, you know, you also run your family like a business. So, (laughs) yeah, so being able to focus um, where your value is and then bringing other people who could uh, do the work as well as yourself, right? And trusting them and empowering them. Yeah, so um, Carmen, thank you so much for your time. It's always an enjoyable and interesting conversation with you. Yeah, so thank you so much.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show. And mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.